It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Born Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast here on a Monday, last week of classes here at Virginia Tech Finals Week. Fastly approaching uh, for everyone. Hope you guys are settled in. Uh, Dan Steinbach here with Colby and Bergstrom. Colby, how are you after a jam-packed football weekend? Uh, well, it's finals week, so stressed. Um, this was a crazy past weekend, too, for um, college football. So uh, there's a lot to talk about with the fallout from this weekend, and I'm excited to delve into it. Yeah, obviously a lot to get into, as he just mentioned. Um, I want to start here, though. I want to start with Saturday. My first time this season in Castle Coliseum, uh, previous scheduling conflicts prevented me from going to any Hokies basketball games uh, this year, but got my first shot uh, at seeing them against Wake Forest. And, oh my, that was um, that was not good. That was definitely a stinker. Uh, three losses out of these last four games for Tech. And just, I mean, just watching that game, it was... Oh boy. Uh, Wake Forest is a team that I think is personally looking into them and looking at their hot start of the season. I, I don't think, I think they were undervalued. Now, I don't know how they're going to do against the top, top competition and the ACC overall as a basketball conference this year is down. Um, so I don't know how Wake Forest is going to do, you know, against the maybe top four teams, but putting them at 13, when I look at their personnel, when I look at what they're able to do, it, to, to me, it seems like they're undervalued. But just overall, throughout the game, Virginia Tech played horrible defense. I mean, there was just way too many instances of backdoor cuts, not getting recognized. They're not picking up their men. Too many points in the paint uh, for Wake Forest, definitely. Obviously, the fact that they hit a lot of their shots, uh, I think I saw the stat that it was like the, full, the second worst uh, defensive performance in terms of opponent field goal percentage for Virginia Tech in a long, long time. Definitely one of the worst defensive games in Mike Young's tenure. And that has been the thing this year with this team is that they've been playing pretty well defensively. Uh, outside of that, I, I mean, the limitations of this team that we've talked about were on full display. Not being able to... This team can't penetrate, or at the very least, they don't want to. Um Mike Young likes to run his sets. They, that's what works in this offense. And overall, it, it can work. But you do you still need that fundamental element of just having a guy that can take the ball to the basket, you know, suck the defense in, kick it out. Those, like, sim- those more simple uh, plays, those more simple draw-up plays, the pick and roll. Th- this team can't run a solid pick and roll. And I'm watching Wake Forest and I'm watching other teams do it to them. Uh, so defensively, there's a, there's a problem. Length is an issue. Uh, I mean, I, I'm seeing Dallas Walton, their big man, get 17 points. He had a lot of points just easily uh, in the paint, stepped out to shoot a couple threes. I did not think that they needed to really defend him on the three uh, from the arc. I mean, he only went one of three, but even he's like a 20% shooter, and that's a guy that you want to be taking a three-point shot uh, regularly. But even still, his size dominated uh, in the scoring. Uh, Jake Laravia kind of was their do-it-all guy. Their best player, Alondis Williams, didn't even kill you in the scoring department. That was all David Williamson, uh, who finishes with 19. Williams ends with 10. 
But I mean, it, they just had players that could slash. They could have. They had players that did a lot of backdoor cuts, and you know, I, I saw a lot of times where Justin Mutz in particular was just not able to find the guy that was cutting. So that 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 goes to communication on the defensive front. Aluma did what he could. He had a lot of assists, um, particularly two months. I, re- I remember multiple times where they were doing backdoor cuts with Mutz with Aluma with the ball out top because Aluma was hitting his threes. But I mean, o- overall, still Aluma defensively, everyone defensively was not uh, hot that day. And then your backcourt, like the, the backcourt between Murphy, Couture, and Aline, just not hitting anything. Uh, not good. When you go two of 13 with your three starters who are supposed to be, you know, really good shooters, being able to get hot from out there, everything went wrong. When you look at the plus minus in the box score, I mean, much with a minus of 22, a lean with a minus of 20, uh, storm Murphy storm intrigues me because these last few games, you know, it's starting to get on him that, okay, maybe he, he, it's a mental thing. He's starting to maybe not want to take his open shots. And I can see that, but I also see him being willing to slash. Now he missed the layup, which is, was a horrible, horrible look. Uh, missing that layup. Yeah, he, he connects on the next one. But the fact that he's he was willing to drive on a possession, try to get something going. I want to see more of that. And if he's the guy to do it, like he it, it can really add the element. And I, I kind of wanted to see more basic offense. Like, like yeah. I said, more of that, you know, just simple pick and roll, drive the lane a little bit. You know, they, they do a lot of stuff where they want to get stuff open in the post. See, I want to see more of that. Um Mike Young's offensive sets, we've seen them work a lot. And offensively, he's a really good coach. But I, I, I want to see this team, when they're not hitting their stuff, just get to basics. And, I mean, you see it right here. 48 points in the paint for Wake Forest to 28 for Tech. That's bad. It, it, it's really bad. And bad defense. Easily their worst game of the year. Probably the worst look for a Mike Young-coached Virginia Tech team. C- can I say ever with the fact that this team is as talented as we believe that they are. Uh, and I, I'm going to tell you, I, I want to see more of Darius Maddox without a doubt. I think he did not play nearly enough for the fact that his two shots that went in, he, he looks like he can be a consistent scorer and giving him more minutes, especially when this offense continues to be, you know, troubled. I, I want to see more of that. Other than that, it was just a really bad game. I want to get your thoughts on it before we move into football. Yeah, it was an embarrassing game, and I'm really happy that you touched up on the defense. It's been an issue for Mike Young coach teams all three years here at Virginia Tech. It's been sloppy interior defensive performances. And, I mean, uh, though, granted, we had looked a little bit better to start the season defensively, it really culminated or, or less culminated, more kind of reared its ugly head in this matchup in particular, you talked about the points in the paint disparity, but most specifically, you even talked about Mutz, which was something that I was able to tell when I was in Castle. There's probably 10 points alone where Mutz just didn't pay attention to the man either cutting behind him or just got around him, where if Mutz would have just paid attention, he would have denied a, a shot because it wasn't that, like, you know, hard of a play. It was relatively basic for him to cover. And, and that's 10 points that I can account for minimum. That was on Mutz. Mutz had a horrendous defensive game. Um, a lot of people have been wanting to put it on Storm Murphy over the past four games, and we can talk about Storm, and I'll probably talk a little bit about Storm, but 
that interior defense, it has been the crutch of these Mike Young teams for the past three years. And we've talked about it on here. I mean, obviously length is a little bit of the issue, but there's just something wrong with how that's being coached that needs to be absolutely reworked because that type of game can never happen again, which I guess the good news again is this, which we talked about, I guess, with the Brooklyn games is the fact that at least we're showing our mistakes early to where we know what to fix, but having a game like that, I guess a team like that, though, sure. Maybe we force undervalued is pretty embarrassing, particularly at home. Um. But yeah, so the interior defense is a big issue. And a lot of people have been talking about the fact that we miss Radford a lot. And sure, I think having Radford would definitely help this team. But we just saw during that game that it's less of an issue of Radford and more of an issue of confidence on offense. As you specifically spoke about with Storm, we saw against Wake Forest just then, he can cut. He can cut into the lane. He can drive. But then it's like he gets under the basket and he forgets what to do. Like, he doesn't know whether he wants to do a layup or whether he wants to pass. And then he'll just get himself caught in no man's land. And then he'll throw, throw the whole bit of the offense out of whack. Uh, I mean, that's the same thing with even other players if they try to do that type of stuff. Um, as you've said, Aluma almost feels scared sometimes inside the paint to actually go and use his body. Um, and Murphy's kind of the same. Granted, he's, you know, a smaller point guard, but still he has the capabilities You've seen it at like, I, I mean, we, we just saw it in that game. And this, I would, you know, I would be surprised if it wasn't in other performances. If you look up his Wofford highlights or highlights or practices or stuff like that, he looks like he knows what he's doing when it's get, uh, coming to getting inside the paint. But it's almost like he's forgot at the start of the season. And it's really been a detriment to the team. Um, as I said, this game isn't really on – this game's been a lot more about an interior defensive issue, which is something that we haven't had to talk about this year yet. Um, but there's definitely confidence lacking in some of the players that really needs to be there. Like, they're talented enough. They should know they're talented enough. They just got to do it. Um, gosh, I don't know. It's, it's just such a bad game. Um. I, I think the one thing I will agree with you and probably the sole upside of this game was the fact of Aluma decided in this game to be confident from behind the arc. I didn't account for how many times he shot the three um, prior to this game, but I'm pretty sure he shot the three in that game like eight times or so. He was four like for seven. He was four for seven. Like I, I, I would be surprised if he had seven attempts in any other game this year. Like I felt like he's been shy to take the three point shot. And then there was even times in that game where he decided to take the three. But, like, he wasn't shy that game, which was nice, like, because he does have that capability. Um, so being able to see that was good. Um, the only other upside I can mention, as you said, was Darius Maddox. He should be our sixth man, I think. Nothing against, like, Ngasson or anything. I think Ngasson's also good. But I think Maddox brings a versatility to this offense and a confidence to this offense that we don't see through anyone else. And – yeah, I mean, I would like to see him get more minutes. I guess the last thought is, is we also just saw that game that if we don't have someone who's a hot hand that we can just kind of crutch on, we kind of fold and we can't allow that to happen. We've talked about this. This is a team of five players that could probably all put up double digits in a night. Um, this is a team that should have balance and should be just looking to find great looks for each other. 
uh, and should know that they have this talent and skills enough to be able to hit those looks. It's just a function of being able to wiggle that. If you have one player go off on a night, sure, but this is legitimately a team where the whole start, uh, whole starting five could put up double digits in a night and you wouldn't be surprised. So play that way. Honestly, looking at what Wake Forest was able to do, that's more of what I expect from the starting lineup from Virginia Tech. Because sure. Wake Forest had one, two, three, four, five, six guys uh, all put up double figures, all five yeah. of their starters, and then uh, one guy off the bench, uh, Kadeem Sai, former Virginia Tech player, which I did not know. Oh, wait, no, that's, that, that was their plus minus. My apologies. One, two, three. They had four guys in double figures. Um, still, still. Still, yeah. So that, that, that's where we stand. Uh, one, one thing that I do want to comment, though, on is, again, we point to personnel. We look back at this past season. You look at the transfer portal. You look at recruiting. This roster, and, and Mike Young has talked about it. Mike Young wants a bigger guy in the middle. I don't think Mike Young wants to be playing Kevin Luma at center. No, I really think he wants to play him at power forward and, you know, play Justin Mutz in like a small forward type role and put yeah. a guy like Hunter Couture off the bench, but he just doesn't have the guys to do it. Or he just doesn't trust John Ojiaco to be that guy because you look at Dallas Walton, obviously big dude dominates the paint, but their power forward, Jake Laravia, he's as big as Kevin Luma and he's playing the four. That's what a Wake Forest team was able to do. And I think that's what Mike Young wants to do. I think that it's just not on the cards with this team. And, you ha- and they're going to have to, you know, figure out how to go Which up against they- bigger guys. Because, like, Curtis Wahab for Maryland was torching them down low, and he's a big dude. So that's well, really that's- all. I-, I think that's just a point that uh, sure is addressed when it comes to interior de- defense that they're missing. Sure, but we've seen it with other college specifically in college basketball, short teams work. Like, they can work. You just have to build right for it. Um, as you and I both said, interior defense is the biggest issue. Like, you you have to fix that defense. If you're able to fix the defense, that's half the battle. The other half the battle on the offensive side, you guys know what to do. Bas- basically, it comes down to, which this is another point that I forgot to point out, the fact that the first half was the weirdest first half I think I've ever seen offensively from any college basketball team where Virginia tech for the first 10 minutes could do nothing but shoot threes. And they had one shot in the paint from Aluma. And then for the rest of the second half, they don't think took a single shot from the outside. Maybe they took a couple, but most of it was inside the paint. Like it's weird, particularly if you are a smaller team. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, take 10 minutes of just shooting beyond the arc. Cause that's stupid, but you have the threats from beyond the arc use it don't take stupid shots as, as i said you can build your players to your shots um one of the things that we talked about um a while ago because it happened in the florida game was the passing that this team can have you have incredible passing pass the ball create opportunities create good threes bait them for the three go inside and then you get free points because aluma and mutz can body people if they're confident enough to do so I don't think it's, I think Mike Young in this team can figure it out. I don't feel like it's that complicated. It's just a function of getting the confidence to be able to do so. That's, that's my biggest thing. And the one word that's really come out of not only my mouth, but most fans mouth mouths confidence. Yeah. I, I think you are right in the sense that they can get it fixed. Obviously it's still very early in the season. It was only the first game of ACC play. Exactly. And I, and I get your point on the whole, you don't necessarily need to have a big man, you know, to win in college basketball. You don't. 
I just look back at what has happened with Mike Young here, and I point out that a lot of the losses and a lot of the key losses yes. that happen are due to the fact that the other team's big man just, um, just can dominate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that, again, Florida. That was the reason we lost to Florida. Castleton just destroyed us in the second half. Yeah. So I, I, that, that's all I wanted to touch on because, I mean, it was a big game, and it, it's something yeah. of note. It's a game that, you know, could have really quelled a lot of doubts, but uh, alas, it raised some. So let's move on to football. Uh, let's move off that. More basketball to come, certainly in the near future. Uh, but let's talk about big college football weekend championship week. Let's go. All right, well, to jump straight in here to championship week, the first question I want to talk about is actually a little bit more looking forward and looking at more coaching things. This is stuff that we talked about Friday, stuff we talked about Monday and whatnot, uh, before we delve fully into Champions week, uh, championship week. And it revolves around two coaches that have actually uh, signed down to their jobs, uh, one happening like very like suddenly and the other happening just kind of almost out of nowhere. Uh, I think, yes. Yeah, it was like last night. Uh, and we'll start off with the one that happened today, as it is the most recent news, is the fact that Manny Diaz was fired just about a couple hours ago and was basically immediately replaced by Mario Cristobal. Uh, what are your thoughts for the new Hurricanes head coach? Well, first of all, what a head coaching search that was. Obviously, we're not Miami fans, so we're not really following along with it. Uh, it's a name that's been rumored for a while now, but the fact that it was finally put into motion uh, – in the last couple of days, or at least the leaks were starting to come out in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, imagine being Manny Diaz. Well, first of all, you're $8 million richer. So I think he's okay. But yeah. Manny Diaz is being told he, he's going along with his contract. He's still under contract. He's still recruiting kids. Meanwhile, if you bump into someone and they say, Hey, you're the Miami coach. Aren't you getting fired soon? I mean, all this <laughs> stuff was coming out and Mario Cristobal was basically named the head coach and Manny Diaz was still a part of the job. But so that was a while. That must have been a wild ride, but that's over now. Uh, as for Mario Cristobal, I mean, he he's done good things at Oregon. Uh, obviously, you look at this year getting whomped by Utah twice. Uh, might not inspire too much uh, excitement in some Miami fans, but overall, Mario Cristobal really, really good head coach. He's back home. I think he's going to take this maybe a little bit more seriously than Manny Diaz. He's known as a better recruiter by far than Manny Diaz is. Look, when you look at brands in the Coastal Division, and the Coastal Division is going through a lot of anarchy right now because this is now four coaching changes uh, out of the seven teams. You got Duke, UVA, uh, VT, and now Miami. UNC and Pitt and Georgia Tech on the wayside. When you look at the Coastal, in terms of brands, Miami is the biggest brand, I think by a considerable amount. Virginia takes in that second slot and everyone else cares more about basketball. Mm-hmm. But Miami is a brand and they're just throwing money. They're just throwing money at this, at this opportunity. Uh, $8 million to buy out Manny Diaz, $9 million to buy out Cristobal. And now they're giving him a 10 year, 8 million per uh, contract. And they are making his assistant pool the highest in the conference now over Clemson. So they're throwing money at this guy. They're throwing money at the situation and they're going to try to make this work. In terms of immediate success, I don't know. I don't know how Miami is going to attract the transfer portal. I don't know how their roster is going to be rebuilt. But in terms of seeing what Mario Cristobal did at Oregon and who, you know, the fact that he's home, I think he's going to take it really seriously. He's a good coach. I think Miami has a really good opportunity here to become what 
in terms of branding, they should be. They should be the team that's going to the ACC championship game every year because they are the biggest brand. Now, sure, Virginia Tech can fight in those battles. Uh, the Virginia Tech-Miami game should mean more every year. It should be, okay, these two teams are the biggest brands. Who's going to win the Coastal? And Miami's throwing money at the situation to make sure that they have that chance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've got. That's where you're leaving it. No, no, no um, that's, that's where I am. <laughs> I think it's a good hire. Uh, Point blank, it's a really good hire for them. I think he's going to be think, better than Manny Diaz. Sure. I, I think it's a hire that can work. Um, I mean, if you look at his time at Oregon, uh, he was kind of thrust into the head coaching situation. Uh, I, I forget who's the guy before him, but um, like he, he came out of the Alabama tree. He then went to Oregon t- uh, to be OC for barely a year and then he became the head coach um and prior to that he was coaching FIU uh I think ironically one of the open jobs right now um I don't know if, if FIU what he did was good or not I just kind of have his uh, stats here pulled up on uh Wikipedia I mean to keep it front keep it front like that's what I'm doing just to be able to communicate with y'all about this um here's a bit of my concern a bit of my concern is this I don't know I could be wrong other than like Panay Sewell. I can't think of too many Oregon products that have been produced recently. Particularly I mean, Justin Herbert's was pretty good. Hmm? Justin Herbert's a pretty good quarterback. Sure. So Sewell and Herbert, um, beyond that though, and actually to be fair, I don't think Herbert was recruited by him. I think he was recruited by the uh, past uh, coach. Well, I, eh, he may have been, who knows? Um, but 2018, this is a team that struggled. This is a team that um, actually has historically struggled against Utah under Crystal Ball, including a loss in 2018, multiple losses this year. If you go and look at last year, uh, they didn't play them whatsoever. They had a couple games canceled. Um, but this is a team where he was able to bring them to a couple bowl games. He was able to get them to the top five. Uh, once this year, they're going to finish, gosh, what, 15 right now? Um, so he's only been able to bring the team into the top 25 a couple of years now. Um, he didn't have the job for too, too long. Um, it's, it's, it's a decent hire. I mean, as, as kind of mentioned, he has experience. He's been in the uh, Nick Saban coaching tree. My concern is this. Unlike with the Lincoln Riley move where Big 12 to Pac-12 was a really big downgrade. And I think that it'll just be a lot easier. I don't think the ACC is a huge upgrade, particularly the Coastal. But I do think that when you're having to compete and it's getting close with a lot of teams like in your own conference, and I, I think we both agree that the Pac-12 isn't that impressive generally, um, particularly not this year. Um, to struggle is a little bit concerning. Um, I think of the hires that they could have made, this is possibly the best unless there's some crazy hire that is made like in the winter that none of us expected, though I don't think that's going to happen. Like, really, the only jobs left open are UVA and Duke. Um, actually, I think Duke might be filled. I digress. Um, I, I think it's good. I think for what they got, it's the best they probably could have done. Um, and is someone that uh, has experience in the program. But I am also just a little bit wary of the fact that there are some games during his time as the Oregon head coach that came a little bit too close, particularly this year when he had a team that we felt like um, for a good bit of the season was better than a lot of others. And, you know, like they had some crazy things happen this year, like 
beating Ohio State, but then losing to Stanford and losing to Utah. Uh, probably should have lost to UCLA. Like the fact that they could have lost to so many Pac-12 teams this year, I think is a little bit concerning. But all in all, you could have done worse. So we'll see what happens with this. And hopefully, uh, if he was a big part of the Justin Herbert developing process, that'll help for Tyler Van Dyke. I think that's really the big goal for the Hurricanes out of this hire, at least for me. I mean, going, I, I want to just like touch on your point of Pac-12 to ACC. Yeah, the Pac-12 is really bad. Oregon was, they weren't that conference's Clemson. But at the, in, in, the recent, in, in the recent years, I would say they were the best team in the Pac-12. So they kind of were the Clemson. All in all, I, I really think that what he's going to be able to do, recruiting to Miami, We'll see. I, I, I'm not expecting them to turn this around right away and them to own the Coastal for the next five years. Mm-hmm. I will say probably around year three, probably year two, honestly, with how the transfer world works, year two and on is probably when, you know, expectations rise uh, mm-hmm. a considerable amount. I, I think you might be able to find more consistency under him. Whether that's for better or for worse, we'll find out. But mm-hmm. I think that's... I think that will definitely occur. Um, just this year, though, even to highlight this year's in general, just to highlight my concerns, the fact that they only beat California by drive, UCLA, they beat by three, they beat Washington by 10, and Washington's been horrible this year, Washington State by 14, Oregon State by nine, and then obviously getting smashed by Utah. I don't, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to be a little bit more optimistic here. You know what? Tyler Van Dyke. He is a big future part of this college football, um, you know, as, as college football moves forward, probably going to be the best, well, considered one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC next year. So, you know what? There's a little bit more optimism. But to move on from Cristobal, because honestly, he's not the big hire. Uh, what actually may have become my favorite hire of this whole process, maybe second, is going to be talking about another Brent becoming a head coach, but this time rather than Brent Pry going to Virginia Tech, is now going to be an, another defensive ACC mind, Brent Venables, going to Oklahoma, and definitely highlighting both ends in this case. Uh, well, Brent Venables to Oklahoma. Uh, can you repeat what the last part of what you just said there was? Um, kind of looking at it from either side. So from the sure, sure. perspective and from Clemson perspective. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I'm sorry, I kind of phased out there. Um, so on the Oklahoma side, it's a good hire. Uh, Oklahoma guy seems very excited about the job. I'm interested to see how his defensive philosophy translates to the Oklahoma brand, which mm-hmm. under the Lincoln Riley years, which have been some of their most successful ever. Uh, obviously, uh, I think Bob Stoops is going to play a big role in, you know, getting him accustomed to the culture, but I'm sure he knows all about it. I- I'm interested to see how that defensive mindset translates to the big 12 and then obviously more importantly when they move to the sec if he's still around which i'm assuming he will be it's you know in a short time so i'm excited i want to see and look if i'm going to bring out the old brent pride quotes again i want to see who he hires for his offensive staff to really see if this hire works um yeah no i think i think it's a good hire the thing that becomes i think the bigger story is clemson uh losing him losing a guy that Dabo has been you know, yep. trusting for so long and Clemson's defenses have been so good for so many years now. And, you know, uh, another part is 
Tony Elliott, his name has been linked to other jobs. One job particularly is the Duke job. So if Dabo is losing his two coordinators, he might have to clean out his entire staff. And, you know, they're going to have their money. Uh, Dabo's going to make his hires. But, I mean, these are two guys that have been around him for a while now in Elliott and in Venables. So I'm interested to see, obviously, if Elliott takes a head coaching job, I'm interested to see how that dynamic of it works. Does Clemson, you know, keep what they're doing without the guys that Dabo has supported himself with? I think that they can, but is it to the national level? Uh, as for the Venables end, Oklahoma recruits itself at this point. Um, I think he's going to be a good, passionate guy. If you can bring some defense to that team, to that brand, to that program, you know, maybe it puts them, it, and if they're able to continue with the offense, you know, who knows, maybe Oklahoma, you know, finally elevates themselves into that national contending tier rather than, okay, we're going to put you in the playoff. You're going to go lose to Bama. You're going to go lose to Clemson. You're going to lose to LSU by a lot. Um, you can mm-hmm. beat up the Big 12, but now can you really, really, really play with the big boys? First of all, pop quiz here for you, Dan, because I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this on the podcast before. What does EMA stand for? Every man's wildcat. There you go. Absolutely 100% pass. Uh, and the reason I bring that up, uh, I mean, whether you know or not, again, I have the Wikipedia page up, is the fact that Brent Venables is a Kansas State um, grad. He came out of Kansas State. He, he played a couple of years there. He was a graduate assistant at K-State um, and was also a linebackers coach. But to talk a little bit about that Big 12 aspect as well, we talked about Brent Pry, how good it was for him to come in to Virginia Tech because he understands the culture and everything. Talk about understanding the culture. Brent Venables was not only at Oklahoma for about like a dozen years, but on top of that, he was also at Kansas State, as I said, as a GA and a linebacker coach. So he was in the Big 12 from 1993 to 2011 until he then finally moved on to Clemson to become a coordinator in uh, to become a coordinator under Dabo Swinney. Um, so that's a lot of Big 12 experience alone. From He was in from 90, as a player from 91 to 2011, which would be 20 years, but as a GA from uh, GA slash coaching perspective from 93 to 2011, which would be 18. So he's got a lot of experience with the Big 12, and I think he gets a lot of it. Um, I don't know who OU's coach was at the time then. Uh, obviously, he I think he was there then for a little bit. Was he there for a little bit, Lincoln Riley? I don't remember when he was hired. Um, but he was definitely there in the Bill Snyder era. Um, he was there uh, in the, as you were talking about, uh, he was there under Bob Stoops. Um, and then I, I guess he was replaced when Mike Stoops was coming back, et cetera. Um, so he understands not only the culture of Oklahoma, not only being there for a while, but he understands, I think, the play of the Big 12 as it has occurred for a while. Um, the big thing is this, and I'll, I'll ask you even two more questions while we're talking about this. What was the biggest problem for Oklahoma as we talked about this team throughout the whole year? Well, throughout this whole year, I, I really do think it was overall finding that identity. I think that the quarterback sure. questions, you know, reverberated throughout the locker room. But overall, you know, a lot, their lack of overall success comes down to the fact that they don't play defense. Yeah, it was overall their defense. Like, their, their offense can only do so much at some points. Now, granted, as you said, their offensive identity wasn't great. I don't know how that just kind of dissolved. But defense has been a huge issue for Oklahoma, not even this year, but in prior years. Like, they've made the college football playoffs how many times, but I don't know if they've ever won a – I don't think they've ever won a game in the college football playoffs. And a lot of that's because their defense just gets torched when it comes up against actual teams from, like, the SEC or whatnot – and not the Big 12, who sometimes or often, uh, more often than not, forget to play defense. 
Um, so in this case, I think getting someone like Brent Venables, who's going to be a defensive rock on that side is an incredible hire because it's just going to be someone that's going to be able to solidify that defense, something that hasn't ha- been there for OU in forever. And uh, then, as you said, it's really going to be the offensive mind that he brings in to be his OC and who else he brings into his staff that really just kind of shows, you know, okay, this team's going to be serious or not. Um, so overall on the Oklahoma end, I think that this is probably the best hire they could have made. I honestly don't think that there's anyone else that they really could have made that was as good of a hire. Uh, I don't think any of us really expected for Brent Venables to be gone, but just what an incredible opportunity that OU's getting. For Clemson, this is probably nightmare scenario, particularly with how this season's gone. Um, and again, I think this is, you, you'll, you'll understand where I'm going with this question for you here. What was Clemson's best part of their team this year? Their defense, easily. It's why, you know, yep. early on, you can see that they were st- that they still had a chance, at least at the conference. Their offense just really could not pick up the slack. But the defense this year was incredible. We talked about in September that there was three truths to the ACC. Virginia Tech having a solid defense, Clemson having an elite defense, and then I think there was one more. I think it was the fact that Pittsburgh just puts up a lot of points. That was like our three truths to the, to the ACC. I think maybe I just mentioned it um, back in like September or something like that. And those really with like withstood throughout most of the season. I think Virginia Tech's defense just kind of got tired over time, but still Clemson's defense was elite. You even saw it against Wake Forest. Uh, Pittsburgh's offense was really good. And then overall Virginia Tech's defense was good. Again, I think they just kind of got worn down over time. So to be able to lose that defense after such an embarrassing offensive year, like to lose the defensive mind, I think is very scary. Um, Clemson uh, during his, uh, during Venable's time there have really built themselves a reputation for being a well-balanced football program, particularly having an elite defense. I mean, just think about all the first rounders and, and, and other top prospects that Clemson has been able to pull out uh, or put into the NFL draft uh, for better or for worse. I mean, I'm forgetting his name, but like Atlanta has a cornerback from Clemson. Um, Colin Farrell uh, went in as the end to Vegas, one of the really crazy uh, first round picks under the uh, Gruden era. Um, and then I, I think you may have had like a safety here, a linebacker there, some other uh, linemen. Uh, it was like Devon Godshaw with, uh, with Miami. Like you have defensive pieces from Venable's time here all over the place. Um, he built a defense uh, to be scared of in this division. And without that mind um, and possibly having to clear out that staff, as you said, I think it becomes a great concern of can this team maintain that legacy and maintain that success? And I don't know. To me, it makes it a very concerning time for Dabo because kind of like I said with Oklahoma, and I think they got the right hire, you have to get the right hire defensively or you're going to start struggling because obviously we've seen over the years that these teams have been making up ground and they made up ground enough in the ACC for NC state to upset Clemson and for uh, Clemson to, you know, be really close in a lot of other games this year, though a lot of it was due to having such a lackluster offense. Uh, but the defense was really keeping them in the game. So that's my opinion um, for OU obviously talked about a lot. I think this is probably the best hire that they could have done Clemson you're in a really scary time. 
and you've really got to get it right or there's going to be drastic consequences, I think, to uh, what happens there. Beyond that, I don't know if there's any other notes from either of us on these head coaches. So. No, I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, just your mention, going going back on Clemson with uh, the time Venables was it there, I mean, I can just remember the monster defensive line they had just a few years ago. I mean, the likes of mm-hmm. Dexter Lawrence, Colin Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins, uh, Austin Bryant, all guys in the NFL, you know, high okay. draft picks. I mean, come on, Isaiah Simmons, uh, HHRL, as you said, who's having a remarkable second year uh, with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They've got defensive pieces. Um Obviously, I think a lot of the glamour went towards, you know, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence uh, yep. at their time there. But rightfully so. The defense really was what made them a difference. I mean, you look back yeah. at that 2018 team, uh, which went undefeated, blew through everybody, just dominated the college football playoff, blew out Alabama. Those, that team was extremely loaded on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, in a sense as well, for Clemson fans to think of it like this, think about this year in particular – um, UVA's offense, you know, we've talked about it a lot, was glamorous. It was probably one of the best things about the ACC this year was just watching Brendan Armstrong and the receivers destroy um, and uh, opposing uh, defenses. But they can only do so much, just kind of like as how defenses can only do so much. Um, if Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence didn't have those defenses, do you really think that they'd be blowing out Alabama and winning natties? Probably no, not. Won't. No, you'd, you'd, you'd probably have like Nick Saban having a couple more natties uh, one in a couple more Alabamas or maybe even a Georgia in there just scratched into the trophy instead. So you, you, this, as I said, this Clemson was built on offense and defense, and there's a lot more defense than people really acknowledged. And you're going to have to get that right guy. Otherwise, things might go quickly downhill to be honest, just because things can rapidly change in the cultural ball world. That's right. Uh, but to move on now, we have the big weekend here to discuss um, and all the championship games that occurred. So we're going to go right back into the Pac-12 after talking about Crystal Ball, and we're going to talk about the Pac-12 title game where Utah pulled it off and they got the double over at Oregon. Uh, it is the first Pac-12 title for the Utes. So just quick, quick little applaud there. Good for the Utes. Um, what went right? Well, um, what went right? Here, here's what I'm going to say. Utah has kind of just been that program for a long time. Now. Um, or at the very least, they've been a program that has been able to elevate themselves. You know, changing from going, be, being a Mountain West team, and obviously they have that monster year, uh, looking back here at 2008, uh, when they win the Sugar Bowl, they're like the only undefeated team in the country. You know, some people say they could have made the national championship. Uh, they, they've been a program on the rise and obviously it goes back to, you know, what Urban Meyer was able to do in two years there. But, but here's the thing. Kyle Whittingham has really, he might be the best match between a program and a coach. And I know guys like, you know, Saban at Bama, it feels right. But like Whittingham at Utah, he just pumps out a consistent winner seemingly just year over year and it's a bad division the Pac-12 South is not good and he's turning out nine ten win teams and he's gone to a new year's six bowl now he's getting into their first ever Rose Bowl uh, against Ohio State I'm excited to watch it it's a tough team they out physicaled Oregon both times and it's a team that dealed with a lot of tragedy 
going back these last two seasons with deaths of players. It's just a really, I have to say, what went right? Them getting Kyle Whittingham to stay within the program, elevate him back in 2004, and what he's been able to build off after what Urban Meyer had. I mean, it's that's what I'm going to go with. It's Kyle Whittingham. It's the fact that they were more physical than Oregon. Utah is just a really good program. And we'll, we'll see where they go from here. Maybe this helps them in the recruiting stage. Uh, it really feels, it has that kind of blue collar feel. It's not exactly a blue blood, um, mm. but I really like them. And obviously with Cristobal leaving, uh, obviously Lincoln Riley coming into town, it adds a challenge in that division that Whittingham has not had to go with before. Yeah. But uh, no, Utah is a really good program. And what went right, they just, they just punched Oregon in the mouth and the Ducks had no response. I think you're absolutely right with that. I think that's a great shout, but uh, I do want to highlight a couple performances from that game um, and players that, I mean, since we don't talk about the Pac-12 so highly, like there's just something that we don't really get to often talk about or speak on. So the first player I want to highlight in this performance uh, is going to be the more low-key one of the two. How about Tevian Thomas, sophomore running back who just uh, broke a thousand yards uh, on the season. 20 touchdowns and averaging 5.6 yards carry. Um, definitely the lifeblood of this offense alongside other running backs and TJ Pledger and Micah Bernard. But this is someone that we didn't talk about often because his, I guess his stats just weren't with the others. But this is a guy that could be in for a breakout year here pretty soon if this isn't even one that you'd consider a breakout year. I mean, this is a pretty solid, you know, uh, year of performance from him with 186,041, averaging the 5.6. 20 touchdowns is incredible. Like he scored more touchdowns than Cameron rising through, which I think is saying something. Cause I don't think it's too often that a running back outscores the quarterback in many teams. Um, so I, I think that's just very impressive in and of itself. Um, but the other player I want to talk about is how about a player that honestly may have punched himself a ticket in this game to being a top 10 pick Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd is an incredible linebacker. I think the clear cut best of this draft led the team in tackles, led the team in interceptions. I think he scores the top of the nation in interceptions there as well with four. Um, I think that puts him in the top 20. I could be wrong. I remember uh, Waller was up there for a while with four, so that's kind of why I'm thinking that. Um, on top of that, uh, with that, he had had a couple touchdowns to his name, and he had seven sacks. He's a do-it-all linebacker who, for so many teams, like it's, it's the exact guy that they're going to want and need in this draft, but – Part of the issue for some of them is that there's so many good edge rushers too that it's just going to be hard to be like, we want him, but we also need this. So I think he is going to be able to find his way into the top 10, probably one of my favorite linebacker prospects to come out into the draft for a while. Um, and I think he's going to be a name that's going to just be highly buzzed about um, by everyone of the likes of ESPN when it comes to April. Yeah, and a highlight on uh, Devin Lloyd, just looking at his stats, staffing, uh, you know, stuffing the stat sheet. Yep. That, that reminds me a lot of last year with uh, Zavin Collins from Tulsa, but Lloyd might be better. Um, so yep. this Utah team is, just, it, it's really full of talent. Yeah. Incredible team, incredible coach. Uh, and uh, as I was kind of mentioning as well, they're running back, hopefully someone next year that can really, really make a name for himself. Um, and again, congrats to the Utes. Uh, their third time making it to the game. Uh, their first time winning. 
the other two times they made it actually was in this era of Whittingham, I believe, in 2018 and 2019, both years being runner uh, runners up uh, in the championship game. On the other hand, as things went right for the Utes, it seemed like everything went wrong for Georgia against Bama. Um, so in a little bit of a multi-parter, what was really the reason for that Georgia defeat this weekend? But on top of that, is it reasonable to consider Bama the best team in the nation after a hard-fought win? I think it's reasonable to assume that Bama at their best is the best team in the nation. Problem is we have not seen their best throughout the entire year. Um, and, and it's really more jarring because it's not like it's a team that's on a roll. It's a team that narrowly escaped Auburn and Arkansas and LSU uh, in their most recent SEC games. And then they just come to Georgia and they stomp them. Uh, I mean, I, I know I said that Saban's going to have them ready. They're just not going to be good enough. They obviously proved me wrong. They are more than yeah. good enough. I mean, Bryce Young looked really, really good. Uh, now they did lose Mechie with a torn ACL, so that could hurt them. But, I mean, John, uh, Williams, the other guy. Uh, they still have enough talent anyways. Yeah, Javian Williams. They have, they, they have enough five stars on the bench to you know, fill that void. Um, exactly. Even still. They replace five stars with five stars. Yes. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. is a good running back as well. It's just – Georgia did not go up against anyone with that offense. And yeah. I think the, the one thing that I think can encapsulate it perfectly is – that Bama was able to throw on them. And you look at Georgia's best player on defense, Jordan Davis. He is a really good run defender, but he's not a pass defender. That's been his one knock from draft scouts that might tank his draft stock, even though he's really good at what he's good at. He was tired. He got dead tired. And there's a video of him just not being able to run anymore, not being able to rush the passer. And they were just faster. They were able to be stronger. They got off to a slower start. But, I mean, they just got it cooking, and they just could not be, be stopped. Um, at their best, I definitely think it's Bama being the best in the country. And I don't know if you want to flash forward to the playoff game against Michigan or anything, but the fact that they can do it both through the air and on the ground, I think Brian Robinson can have a bigger game against a Michigan team that's shown that they can get run on. Um, I don't know, man. Bama? Oh, no, no, you know what? No, I'm sorry. Bama's number one right now. Yeah. It's like Cincinnati. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I think Bama at their best is the best team in the country. It's just that they had a lot of inconsistency in the regular season. I don't know if they're going to be able to put it together, but it's Nick Saban, and I'm not going to go against him again. So I'm going to say that they will. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that uh, for what went wrong for Georgia, I think some of it from what I saw was completing drives. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is their quarterback play. It was something that we just haven't had to talk about this year because of how dominant their defense has been. But I've never truly been a fan of Stetson Bennett like he's decent but he's not anyone that's ever kind of wowed me and kind of in the same vein as how you felt that Braxton Burmeister can't lead a team to like glory in that sense when we talked about Virginia Tech at the beginning of the year is kind of how I felt about Stetson but I thought that the defense was good enough that it just really didn't matter for most of it uh I, I do like JC Daniels but I think he's kind of been bench strapped most of the year I don't know if he's still injured um, or got re-injured or anything, but um, I know that's why Stetson originally came in. Um, and that's kind of my thing. I, I think that if JT comes back, maybe they have a chance because I think that JT is just a better prospect overall. But I think the quarterback play was definitely a big difference. 
Um, and as you specifically mentioned, though they have come up against good offenses, they shut out Arkansas and then they beat Tennessee in Kentucky comfortably. It's not an offense quite like Alabama. And that's really the big, biggest thing. Now, to be fair, there's really not many offenses that are like Alabama's. But this team just felt underprepared. And Alabama, kind of like, as you said, with the Utes, uh, Utes versus Oregon, they just kind of punched them in the mouth. And there was nothing that Georgia could really do to respond. Um, that second quarter really being the highlight of it um, with the 67-yarder from Jamison and then uh, Mechie also doing well. Uh, by far Bryce Young's best game of the year, um, probably a Heisman type of performance, like another one that we're going to talk about as well um, that happened over this weekend. And I think it is – I think, again, you brought up an excellent point against Alabama. I think it's reasonable. If, if someone was to walk up to me right now and say Alabama is going to win – the uh, natty or they're going to say Alabama was, is comfortably going to win. I couldn't fully fault that person because of what Alabama was able to do. But as you said, this is an Alabama team at their best. And we've seen Alabama throughout this year struggle. Uh, as you talked about their last two games, they won by a drive. And then before that, their last three games in the sec, they won by a drive. And that's not even including the fact that they lost to AM and they almost lost to Florida. Like they haven't had a good year. Like no matter what people want to say and no matter how right they want to feel about that, oh, this Alabama team was so good and I was right. You're not. You're, you're just purely not right. This is a team that could have lost multiple more games this year. And this game could have just meant nothing. And, uh, and kick Alabama just right over into, you know, just into NY6 game or something. But, no, Alabama was able to barely pull off wins, and they're able to get themselves into a situation where they, as you kind of said, that Nick Saban coached them up for this game, and they were well-prepared enough for it. Um, I don't know if they're going to have that same type of success against another team that's going to fully prepare for them, as I feel like maybe Georgia wasn't fully prepared for Alabama which feels weird to say for how many times Kirby Smart's had to come up against Alabama. So at their best, and like this Alabama team is hard to beat, but just because we saw them do well against Georgia doesn't mean that they're going to have that exact same performance in clutch time against Cincinnati or against either Georgia or Michigan, whoever faces them in the national championship game. So... I personally am I'm not taking this game with a grain of salt, but I'm still cautious of being this confident in Alabama. If anything, all this game has done for me is just eliminate the fact that Georgia is the clear-cut favorite to win, and it's more of a toss-up just like it is for the Heisman for us. To follow that, though, to move on from the SEC and talk about war first, how about a first appearance and Big Ten win for uh, the now reigning uh, Big Ten champions, Michigan? Um, is this a title win for Michigan significant? How significant is it for the <laughs> is it significant? program? Yes. Well, how significant is it for the football program and head coach Harbaugh? And then on top of that, was this was this strong of a performance expected? or um, just a bit of a surprise in a good way? Well, when you look at what, when you look at the box score and you don't watch the game, 
you're confused as to how Michigan put up 42 points. Here's the reason Iowa turned the ball over. Uh, I think, I think they got a pick or like really deep in their territory and Michigan also blocked a punt. So there were two instances Surprise. in which they score on really short fields. So that's how they were able to put up 42. I mean, other than that, Michigan didn't exact. I wouldn't say Michigan ran the ball that well this game. They had a really nice run with Blake Orm, who broke it free for 67 and a touchdown. And then in the passing game, their best passing play was a gimmick play where a wide receiver threw a touchdown ball. Uh, prettier ball than Kate McNamara's thrown all year. But <laughs> I mean, Jamie, Jamie McCarthy threw an interception. Look, obviously, huge win for the program. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what implications it should have. As a Big Ten fan, it tells me that they need to realign again. They need to go back to leaders and legends and they need to stop with this East-West crap because the Big Ten West is just utter garbage. I mean, my God, they can't win one Big Ten title to save their lives. And Wisconsin was only good when Russell Wilson was there. So that's really what we've got. Um, Here's the deal. What implications does this have? If we're talking about for the program, obviously Jim Harbaugh is going to have really good recruiting classes there. Um, you know, they're finally able to sell kids. Hey, we can beat Ohio state. We can win the big 10. We can finally do these things that you have not watched us do basically your entire lives. Uh, so that's one thing mm-hmm. when it comes time for college football playoff time. And when it comes time to play Georgia, I know we're not necessarily talking about the game, but Georgia has the recipe to beat Michigan. Michigan is a team that wants to run the football. You look at the splits. They ran the ball 34 times, only threw it 28 times. And they didn't have to throw it uh, because it's Iowa, but when you look at the running game, Iowa was able to limit Hassan Haskins relatively well. 17 carries for only 56 yards is not what we know Hassan Haskins is capable of doing. And Blake Corum broke one run off. Um, now I'm not the guy that's like, oh, take this run away. And this is what their average becomes. I don't do that. But overall, Georgia has the recipe to stifle them. And then, well, what does Cade McNamara have to do? Well, Cade McNamara, when the run game isn't working, I go back to the Michigan State game. Cade McNamara showed you that he can throw. Problem is Michigan State's secondary is poo-poo and Georgia's isn't. So that's what concerns me for Michigan is their, it really does come down to their offense, offensive execution. I know that the production was there against Iowa, definitely, but against Georgia, their game plan and their matchups worry me. The one thing that is their constant though, is that their defense is legit. Uh, Hutchinson and Ajavo are excellent off the edge. And I, I mean, really, we'll see what Georgia does. Uh, I expect a low scoring game, but if Michigan can't, run the football like they want to and George is able to run on them a little bit, maybe with their tandem of running backs. I'm not going to write Michigan off in this game by any means. The the seven point spread, I would definitely take Michigan there, but for the program, obviously huge win. Uh, They finally make the college football playoff. They get, they get basically every narrative off of their back and they move forward and we see what happens next year. But for now, uh, for now, honestly, if I was a Michigan fan, and believe me, I'm in very much despair um, that they are having the success, the success that they are. But if I was a Michigan fan, all is forgiven for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, look at, I would say Pitt fans. Pat Narduzzi has been there for a while, but he finally got you an ACC. And, he, and now Jim Harbaugh, he's got you a Big Ten, and he's, got, he's given you a chance to win a national title. And, man, what I wouldn't give. I would, you know, at this point, if you tell me that in a 10 year stretch, any of my teams can win one championship and I just have to deal with nine other years of crap or just mediocrity, I'd give that away in a heartbeat. I mean, come on, would you, wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, maybe not complete mediocrity, but yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. Um, 
I mean, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head with about all of it. Um, or not about all of it, with all of it. Um, I think that, as you said, uh, this is just going to be, you can really finally recruit for Michigan and be like, we can do these things. Um, we can beat Ohio State. We can win a uh, national, we can win the Big 12, Big, 12, Big 10 championship. Um, we can, you know, make it to the Natty. Um, I think they've been able to make it to an NY6 bowl under Harbaugh as well, maybe. Uh, I, I don't quite remember. Maybe one or two. Uh, they made one. the Orange Bowl against Florida State, I want to say, in his second year. Mm, okay. Other than that, I don't think they've been back to the New Year's Six, aside from now. Sure, sure. But I, I think this is going to help them get those better recruits, particularly on the offensive side that they've needed for so long, because Michigan has been able to bring out those defensive recruits like Peppers and Rashawn Gary and uh, – what is it, Chase Winovich with New England? Like, they've been able to have defensive guys. First round pick, Taco Charlton. Oh, God, I don't even want to talk about that. We'll, we'll, we'll spare Taco Charlton for you. Um, but beyond that, like, I, I think, like, that's really going to help as well. So, obviously, you're going to continue to get those recruits. You really need the offensive side of the ball now, I think. I think that's been an issue for Michigan for a little bit. Uh, and for Michigan overall, you guys can just really finally have that confidence that, the fan base has had like, and you can really tout it because you guys have finally earned it um, with this win. Um, and then when it comes to a strong performance or expected, I think this was a surprisingly strong performance, but as you said, a lot of it, like you aren't going to be able to see um, of, like from the box score, a lot of it you're going to see from just like actually watching the game. And the fact that Petrus was again, horrible, and the fact that they were able to hold Goodson to 18 for 50, which was worse than what uh, Haskins was held for for Michigan, was 17 to 56. Um, and the, the fact that they threw that interception and whatnot, and the fact that Michigan had so many short fields to work with, um, I think a lot of it you would have had to actually watch the game to really understand why this dominant win came. Um, so I think it was a little bit of surprising how dominant it was not that it's not expected to be Iowa just by this much. Nah. I mean, you and I, I think we're both talking about that. This was just kind of a game that you'd be like, okay, Michigan's going to win and we're just going to not watch because it's going to be boring and they're going to win like 10 to nothing or something, but no, they actually put up a dominant uh, display defensively, which was enough to help their offense be able to do well. Uh, something that we've seen with Georgia on a lot this season as well. So Though it's a matchup to watch because it's the semifinals. Michigan-Georgia is going to be painstakingly slow. If you expect offense in that game, um, I'm praying for you because I don't think that's going to happen. Um, if you're looking again, for offense, watch Pitt-Michigan State. Exactly. Like, it, it, like if don't be surprised if this game finishes like 9-3 to three and it's all field goals. Oh, God, I would hate that. I think college so, football would hate that. I think I think they would – I hope that happens because that means they would bar Michigan from ever making it again. No, I'm kidding. I, I um, don't want to happen, and I, I, I maybe it's not exactly that way, but it's like it's going to be low scoring. Neither of these offenses are really going to be able to move on the other's defense, I think. I think what it's ultimately going to come down to is what defense can possibly perform more or probably more importantly, what quarterback is going to make more mistakes. I like that. And just a quick side note, too, this Iowa team did not earn their way into Indianapolis. They had to no. backdoor their way in because they no. had to have Minnesota beat Wisconsin. So I, Iowa disgusted me after the beginning of this year. I, 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 you know, didn't have much Big Ten knowledge. And now um, 
I have little faith for this program. I, I despise them. They, you know, they, they made me feel. And then they the entire Big Ten West bad. makes me sick that yeah. it even exists. Like, you know, I, I basically felt what it was to gain and lose love because of this Iowa team <laughs> in the span of a month. Oh, my. So, uh, past that, though, and past the pain of the Big Ten, uh, I, I get to finally say it. I get to finally be jubilant about it. I have a big smile on my face and a big, a big old swollen heart of happiness. We have the first group of five team to make college football playoffs. Is this, I, is this where I go in? I'm jubilant. I'm He's happy. jubilant. I'm excited. I honestly, I could dance right now. I, I would oh be willing to, but the fact is, is we, uh, you know, don't have a video footage here for the podcast. So I'm not going to do it because, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to get away from the voice because you guys need to hear the, hear what we have to say, not see what we have to say. Otherwise, I'd probably dance for you rather than talk. Um, what I am going to say is this. Will this help make the committee more accepting of strong group of five schools going forward? And then we'll also piggyback off this with another question for Cincinnati of does Cincinnati have a realistic shot at the national title? All right, let me start with the committee. Absolutely not, because we need to remember uh, first college football playoff ranking, they, paid, they were undefeated. They put these boys at six, so they don't respect them at all. And just Cincinnati's pathway here, they needed to go undefeated. They needed to get mm-hmm. seated sixth, only to hope and pray that people like Michigan State ahead of them, uh, Ohio State ahead of them, Oregon ahead of them, all lost sure. to get in. You have to have knowledge in advance of who's going to be good multiple years from now. And then you have to get them on your schedule. But again, those teams don't want to risk that loss because, hey, if we just schedule garbage in the non-con, dominate our conference, we can walk in, Clemson. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to schedule these really, really tough group of five opponents. So a team, a program like Cincy, moving forward, I, I, don't, I think that they're going to avoid that even more now. Other than that, um, I don't think the committee wanted this. I really don't think that they wanted to have Cincinnati in there. Now, if you wanted, if you wanted proof, if you wanted to prove to me that the committee wanted Cincinnati in, you would have to show me a 12-1 and Oklahoma State jumping them. Uh, yeah. but Oklahoma state didn't. So the committee had basically at this point, Oh, the committee had no grounds for having anyone jump Cincinnati. No, nothing in logic. They had yeah. nothing. So with that being said for the group of five, I don't think that this makes the committee more respect, respectful to group of fives moving forward. Um, it's obviously great to see, uh, good for the sport, but I don't think the committee wants them here. I don't think a lot of people want them here. Um, I do, definitely. Happy that they are. But uh, I know people that said Oregon were better than them, and boy, were they wrong. That's just not true. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, no. I I don't think that this changes the way the committee feels about Group 5 moving forward. But then also, do they have a shot at the national title? Well, they have a pretty high amount, a pretty steep amount of decline. (laughs) Um, here's what they got. They've got a gamer at quarterback who, when it comes to NFL draft time, I don't like when we evaluate college quarterbacks as quote winners, but at the college level, you can use that word. Desmond Ritter is a winner. Um, Jerome Ford 
stud running back. Uh, they got some tight ends. They like their wide receivers, all that. Their defense has players at every level. You've got uh, Madre Sanders, uh, who is going to be an NFL draft pick on the defensive line. You've got uh, Sauce Gardner, one of the best cornerbacks in the country. I think first round pick, personally. Like, he, he, he's that good. Um, and I, I'm just trying to come up with the name of their linebacker. But they've got a really good linebacker. I think it's this Cook kid, Brian Cook. So they've got playmakers at every level, which is what you need to do. Problem is, they have players at every level. Alabama has four and five star behemoths at all 11 positions on both sides of the field. So they have a tall task. I mean, what, what the spread I think is 13 and a half at this moment, uh, favored Alabama. I mean, I, I think I take Cincinnati on that. I took the, I know I took them, uh, I want to say against like 11 against Georgia in their game last year, and it comes down to a field goal. Do they have a shot at the net? I'm going to say not a realistic one, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that there is one, and it obviously comes down to, okay, what Bama team are we looking at here? But I think it just comes down to – to me, this comes down to Wake Forest versus Clemson um, from earlier this year. Even though Clemson was down, you can say that, hey, this Alabama team has shown some inconsistencies. I think that they just have a chance to get bullied uh, in terms of, like, being pushed off the line. I think they make it closer than a lot of people say. I'm not going to write them off in this game. Not a chance. But I do think they end up losing. But I think that the loss will prove that they belong, at least in the conversation. I'm not going to try to disrespect them at all because I, I don't. I respect them a lot. But shot at the national title, I'm going to go realistically no. Yeah, I mean, um, will the committee respect the group of five more? I think with the 16 teams coming up, I think they will have less fear. Or well, with that coming up, I think that they're going to be forced to put in group of five teams. I oh, think sure, but will, I mean, I... I I think what, it, what that'll do is they'll, they won't allow group of five teams to be at larges. I think that's where it comes in. Sure. Uh, 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 yeah. I, I think, I think it's just in that regard, they're going to be a little bit less hesitant because they're like, okay, these teams can do this. But um, I think for Cincinnati, there is still one more step that they have to take to really garner that respect for these types of group of five teams that make it through and then don't make it into the playoffs. And that's have a competitive game against Alabama, win or lose. Um, so yeah, I think it, it does give them have, like, I think the committee will now have a tiny, tiny minuscule bit more respect for a group of five schools in four team play, but it's mostly going to actually be more respect for group of five. If they can compete with Alabama, if Cincinnati has a good game, as I said, win or lose. Um, and they can, they certainly can. I think this is a really well-built team, obviously good on offense and good on defense. Um, as we talked about with so many other teams, I think the one thing in which I feel like for these games, we're really going to have to look at these teams and I'm going to hopefully try to get a lot of time to look in at Cincinnati or whatnot. Once we get on break, um, I think really the biggest thing to look at is, the Cincinnati defense and the Cincinnati defense has generally been pretty good um, over the years, but I think it's just going to be a function of if it's going to be able to hold up against a team like um, Alabama. And I mean, in in fairness to them, they have had a lot of games against high powered offenses where they've done well. I mean, we talked about how good SMU was though. I think they lost two games in a row before them and they SMU only put up 14 points. Tanner Mordecai wasn't the highest uh, passing yards player that game was Ritter. Uh, Houston, again, another generally high-powered offense and well-rounded team, they only put up 20 on Cincinnati. 
Um, if you look at teams that also were at least were meant to have high-powered offenses, Indiana had a better game against them, put up 24, but it's eh. And then Notre Dame, an offense that was able to do well against a, like Virginia Tech defense and uh, were able to do well against the, you know, other like top teams, only put up 13 at their own home against Cincinnati. So I think the Cincinnati, there is a recipe to be able to beat Alabama. But will they, and will they even win the Natty if they do? I think it's highly unlikely. Um, I'd probably say, like, if you're probably throwing out percentages, I think Cincinnati's probably 10% or less chance to win the Natty. But you, they have to have a realistic percentage there because they're a team that's earned their place in here, and they're a team that's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing is this. If it was Cincinnati, and this isn't because Alabama's better, but I think they would prefer to face a Michigan or Georgia over Alabama first, and that's purely because this team has shown that they can do well against decent defenses or like a good defense like Notre Dame and pull out a win. So I feel like this matchup for them is a lot harder, not only because it's Alabama, but because I think Alabama has the most high-powered offense of the four teams in. And I think that that means that not only is Ritter going to have to have his best game of the year, but their defense is going to have to really show up, which is, I think, my concern. I think Cincinnati can compete. And hopefully if they do compete and they keep their names in it the whole time, uh, comparatively, you know, other teams that have been blown out by Bama in the situation, like uh, higher tier programs, the, the committee will actually open their eyes and be like, oh, wow, these teams can be good. Um, but otherwise, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be hard for them. But uh, man, if we do some sort of recap at the end of this year, I'm just so I'm, I'm happy this happened and I'm happy that I had faith. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so happy about that. I've, I've, that, that's probably of the things that we've talked about here on the podcast, other than maybe how I did in um, the Euros, this is probably what I'm the most proud of, of this, like, about year. You know what I mean? No, I got you. You, you were on the ball. Uh... I had my I had my concerns only in the committee. I uh, personally I don't think I had a doubt that Cincinnati would go undefeated. Uh, I just felt that they did not care. Yeah, the committee. No, I I get you. I get you. Yeah, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying like you know anything bad at all. I'm just saying that I've been on the ball on some things this year, but this is probably the one where I'm just very pleased that I was able to get it. You know, like probably the like one thing that I was like very, very close to being on the ball was with uh, Georgia as a serious national title contender and a team that could be better than Bama in the SEC. Whoops. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gosh, I don't even remember. There's probably some other crazy things we talked uh, talked about that. That's going to be recapped, particularly for college football. But hmm. yeah, um, to move on from this, though, big happy moment. A good old uh, first uh, Big 12 championship game. But how about definitely the more disappointing of the two? Uh, the Big 12 championship game, the actual one where Oklahoma State choked it and we're not able to get their first uh, Big 12 championship. Instead, that's going to fall to Baylor. Um, so the Big 12 shoots itself in the foot. And really the question is, is as you actually brought up with Cincinnati, is if Oklahoma would have won, do you think that they would have put the Cowboys in over the Bearcats? But on top of that, to look at the other team in this conversation, Baylor, um, how does Baylor continue its Honestly, at this point, "quote unquote" rebuild after uh, after such a surprising success this year. All right, uh, Oklahoma State over Cincinnati. Hate to do it, I think they do. 
I don't know why. Yeah. There's a gut feeling that they're just petty, but thankfully it did not happen and we don't have to discuss it. But now I, I did not get to watch this game. My only window into this game was um, a very tiny television screen, probably about 300 feet away from me. Uh, on the other side of Castle Coliseum, looking into the suite level. Uh, had I brought my binoculars, I may have been able to see Spencer Sanders throw a bunch of interceptions, um, but I digress. The, I'm going to focus here on Baylor. The answer is keep Dave Aranda for as long as you can. I mean, dear God, this guy, Baylor has a really good infrastructure. When we talked about Bronco Mendenhall last week leaving, we talked about how UVA just does not have the infrastructure. Baylor has... Yep. I think underrated infrastructure when it comes to their football. I mean, Matt Rule being able to do a quick turnaround. Uh, Dave Randa now being able to do a quick turnaround and get them to another Sugar Bowl and win them a Big 12, their first Big 12 title. Dave, or uh, in a couple of years, because they split it with uh, TCU that one year that Ohio State jumped both of them. Keep Dave Randa. That, that's, that's where I'm going to go with it. Um, they have a really good infrastructure there. It's a really solid program uh, that has really overcome a lot of adversity. They've got them on the hook with an extension. And now, I mean, just, <laughs> let me tell you something. They dodged a bullet not bringing in Justin Fuente. I'll tell you that. Um, no, man, this, this team is, it, it's really special. And when you look at an individual game and you look at, you know, you know, there's a saying that every single football game comes down to a half dozen plays or so. That play at the end just really shows how special mm-hmm. that Baylor team is, that they can make that play, that they have a player that can make that play. And you look at the kid's story, oh man, his name escapes me right now, but oh, I think he was a walk-on and he's like a fifth-year guy, you know, through COVID, uh, through that first year with Matt Rule, where I think they only won like one game. And then he's just seen his team, this program grow. And he's the guy that makes the play at the end there. It's just really special. And, you know, you make those plays if you're a special team. And they did. Uh, On the Oklahoma State front, oh, man, poor Mike Gundy. Comes so close. They are are not going to forget that loss. Probably forever. Um, No, man, it's it, it was really good to see. Uh, on the Baylor front. How do they keep it going? How do they keep this quick re- rebuild go? Again, keep Dave Aranda. And with this new Big 12 coming in, you know, BYU and Cincinnati, I think, have good infrastructure to compete for that top spot. But Baylor is in prime position to be probably the premier Big 12 football program, you know, whenever Oklahoma and Texas leave. Sure. I mean, I'm right there with you on Oklahoma State. I think the committee, though they don't like to value the Big 12, would have valued the Big 12 championship uh, over uh, Cincinnati and their undefeated season. Um, So obviously this is going to really hurt Mike Gundy and his team because it's like we we should be playing in the, uh, you know, national championship tournament right now. We shouldn't be playing, you know, in this NY6 Bowl, but I digress. Um, to look at the other end for Baylor, I mean, incredible coach, obviously, Aranda. Just a quick walkthrough of some of his time, uh, bringing up the likes of Joe Schobert um, and in Chris Borland. Um, I don't know how much Borland did in the NFL. Actually, I don't remember at all, but Joe Schobert's popped around 
uh, some other NFL teams, uh, both one Big Ten linebacker and Big Ten defensive, uh, and Borland won Big Ten defensive player of the year while Ronda was there. Um, then he went to coach LSU. Obviously, they won the Natty uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, right before he left to take on the Baylor job in 2020. And this is, you know, first of all, Baylor's AD must be a mad genius because if I'm pretty sure this is the same AD that also signed on Matt Rule and others, like the fact that you've been able to have, have these perfect head coach hirings back to back is incredible. Um, but on top of that, I mean, it's basically just kind of like what you we've said about Michi- Michigan, but you can kind of just add that for Baylor. The fact of that, oh, OU's in a down year and they get, have a new head coach. Texas had a horrible year. Um, you know, there's really not many other Big 12 football programs uh, or uh, that are as big as us. You know, we're kind of the you can kind of sell yourself and rightfully so that you're you should be the premier program in the Big 12 moving forward and should be the leaders of the old guard um, as Oklahoma and Texas are going to be preparing to leave. So I believe that with that in mind, um, and particularly if you can keep up a solid defensive play, which is something that really, as we've talked about countless times, isn't really present in the Big 12 uh, frequently. Um, I, I think that this program has a solid chance of becoming a, you know, a top program in the Big 12 for years to come. So yeah, a big shout out to Baylor. Um, obviously I can't say rebuild complete yet because it's only been two years. The, even though they won the Big 12 championship, I think that they just have more to do with recruiting and whatnot. And I think there's a lot more that they know that they want to do as a program before you can really say, okay, this team's one of the top programs in the nation. Like, they're a good program. They're one of the better programs in the nation, but I still can't fully say that they're the top program in the nation. You need to see them do it again. That's kind of the rest of that argument. Um, to move on from that, though, and move on to the final championship game that we get to talk about here, um, the ACC championship game. Um, and Pittsburgh won. We both expected it, and they, they won in style. Um, but really the question from this is less on the game and more on the play. Um, is the fake slide from Kenny Pickett fair? Well, there's really only one take on this, and I'm glad that everyone who's anyone has come out and had the right yep. take. No, not at all. Um, I don't want to, you know, bore anyone with the details because anyone that follows college football, I'm sure, has heard this take a billion times. But if we're having all these rules meant to protect the quarter and that will punish defenders for, you know, hitting a quarterback while he is giving himself up, uh, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm done running. We're going to stop the play here. You can't hit me. I'm defenseless. All that stuff. You can't take advantage of that, clearly, because then it becomes really hard for defense to happen. Like, take this game uh, coming up with Michigan State. If Kenny Pickett tries that again and Cal Halliday just decks Kenny Pickett, well, what's going to happen? Is he going to get called for targeting or is he going to say, hey, I thought he was going to pull that fake slide crap again? Um, So, no, that definitely has to be worked out somehow. Either you uh, say, hey, you started the slide, it, it, the play is dead. We're going to blow the whistle, which they should have done. Um, we're going to blow the play dead. It's going to be here. Or, and I think this is a better way to de-incentivize it, have it be a penalty. Uh, and, uh, and whether or not you just want to move the ball back 10 yards and give them first and 10, or you want to have the play stop there or say, hey, you know what? We're going to give you 10 more yards. You're going to start at first and 20 now. How about that? Um, 
they have to figure out a way to get that done. I, I think the easy way is just tell the refs, hey, you think he's sliding, which he clearly was there. It was no, yeah. no ifs or buts about it. Call the call play dead. They got to teach the refs that. Um, and even still, you know, what comes into question is, okay, well, what happens if a quarterback just decides to, you know, pull up? And, and that's something that happens too, is these like aggressive hits out of bounds. Uh, this is kind of becoming that, this, this might go into that territory where it's like, hey, I didn't know if he was going out of bounds. And so I laid off and then he went down the sideline and scored. Um, there are a lot of rules protecting the offense. We just got to enforce them better. Uh, I think that it, it's really hard to play defense, especially when stuff like that is just allowed to happen. Uh, so no, it's not fair at all. And they'll definitely have to legislate that out of the game. Yeah. I mean, not much worse. It's completely not fair. And I definitely think that the best way to go about it is if you try to pull that type of stunt, that's just where the ball stops. And maybe if you do it again, then it results in a penalty. Sure. Because it's just, it's, it's not cool. And uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, you get a penalty. There you go. So what's crazy about that is that I did not start watching the pit wake force game. Cause I, I did want to watch the opening drives of Michigan, Iowa. And cause that score, that was the first touchdown of the game. And I saw it on Twitter and I was just strolling through replays and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That didn't count. Right. And then I go to the box score. Oh my God, they counted that. And I'm just, you're sitting here yep. flabbergasted. Like, why would they allow that to, why, why did they just allow that to happen? But yeah, no, completely unfair. And hopefully they, you know, ho- hopefully we don't see more of that because they need yep. to address it. And if we start to see that become the norm, Oh God, that's just going to be a complete mess. I mean, at the very least, it wasn't, you know, a game altering type of thing or whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they earn their win anyways. So beyond that, though, that's the last bowl that we need to cover. We do have a few more things, though, to look at before we wrap up this episode. And the first thing that I want to look at for this is it's going to be talked about tonight and possibly even, I think, announced tonight. Our Heisman Final Four. And you know what? With our Heisman Final Four, let's talk about who our winner is of those Final Four. And let's say who we want and who we think. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, I, I think you have an idea of who I want it to be, but I mean, I, I know that's not going to happen. Um, all right, final four, guys that are going to New York. There's one guy who's just on the outside here that I'm feeling a little um, bullish about on leaving him out of the top four. Uh, I'm thinking that he will. Personally, this is like, I would want him outside of my top four. Uh, I'm going to give you two quarterbacks. I'm going to go Bryce Young. And I'm going to go Kenny Pickett. Uh, that performance against Wake Forest does it for me. Uh, you do have to include not just the regular season, but also uh, conference championship games if they play in them. So I'm going to go with the pit quarterback who's been there for a million years. Uh, I don't really think I want him there, but I'm going to go Aiden Hutchinson. I think that there are better defensive players. I don't think that there's a running back or a wide receiver that can, or even a quarterback, like the spoiler, the guy that I'm leaving out of here is CJ Stroud. Um, nice player, put up a lot of big stats, but I, I think we do have the quarterback room covered. I think he's my fifth place guy. Uh, I, I think the Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson thing is the fact that there's a lot of media hype around him. And I mean, deservedly so. He's been a really good player. But I mean, when you look at the stats, I mean, a guy like Will Anderson overall did more this year. But uh, I do think Aiden Hutchinson gets the gets the nod, especially in his two biggest games of the year. Uh, played really well against Michigan State, too. Um, but against Ohio State and Iowa, I mean, national television 
the focus is on him. You see him every play. He's going to get the invite. And I'm going to throw Kenneth Walker in there. He's the guy I want to win, but I, I know he won't. He probably ends up finishing third or fourth at this spot. But uh, best running back in the country all season long. Um, some inconsistencies throughout. Like you can point to the second game of the season where they gave the ball to Jordan Simmons more for some reason. Uh, and the Ohio State game where, I mean, they just had to play catch up real quick, so they couldn't really give him the reps. Um, but overall, second second in the league in, in the nation in uh, rushing. Had he gotten over 300 carries, I think you could definitely see him pushing uh, 2,000 yards. That just wasn't the offense Michigan State wanted to run, though. Um, a lot of touchdowns. I believe he was eighth in the country at 18. Uh, some guys above him with 20 and 19. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with uh, Bryce Young. I'm going to go with Kenny Pickett. I'm going with Walker and Hutchinson. CJ Stroud is just left out. Uh, and I'm going to go with Bryce Young to win that game against Georgia, you know, setting an SEC record uh, for the championship game and passing. Uh, and just dotting up the number one defense in the country all season long. I think it's going to go to him. Yeah, um, we have fairly similar lists. Uh, the guy I left off, I mean, I, I, I went with this four is how I think it's going to end up. If it was my four, this wouldn't be it. I would leave off a player, possibly two. Um, probably just a player at this point. But my four currently are Hutchinson, Stroud, Young and Pickett. I'm leaving off Walker. I want Walker on desperately. If it was my personal one, I probably have Walker like in second. Uh, still, because if we look at when we were talking about it, still I had what was it last time we talked about this? I still had Stroud and Walker leading the rest. Um, but I think the committee and whoever's voting is going to overlook Walker because Michigan State lost multiple games, and though he did have a Heisman performance against Michigan. It's not like they made a championship game. And yeah, I, I think that that's all going to get looked at. And that's why it's going to get tossed aside. As well as on top of that, there's been a lot more media attention around uh, these guys comparatively to him. So that's why Walker's left out of my top four. Um, who I want to win it, this one might be a surprise, but it's honestly Kenny Pickett. He wins the ACC championship. He's like statistically the best quarterback in college football this year. Um, drastic improvements during his time at college. He's going to be one of the, uh, you know, top picks in the NFL draft this coming year. Um, and really this team wouldn't have been where they were without him period. And the two games they lost, they lost barely, um, comparatively to like, you know, they, I don't think that there's too many games that they barely won, but like Alabama had a lot of games that they barely won. They had one game that they barely lost. Um, but I think Bryce Young is going to win it. Um, as you said, he had a Heisman performance at the biggest stage against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Um, he's been one of the better quarterbacks in college football all year. Um, and I think that literally that Georgia performance alone left him into my top four. Um, is if you guys remember last week, he wasn't even in my top five. Um, and I think that that performance alone would get the committee to say, okay, Bryce Young's your Heisman winner this year. Um, but yeah, so if I was to make four, it would probably be Young, Hutchinson, Stroud, and Pickett. And then, or not uh, Hutchinson, it'd be Walker. But I think the four is kicking out Walker, putting in Hutchinson, because Hutchinson has more uh, name value in the media right now. And I think Young wins, but I'd prefer Pickett one. I do think it'll be close voting, though. Um, so. Question. So last week when we were talking about this, there has been some separation now at conference championship week. 
Yeah. Do we are are we still in the less than fifty percent of the vote wins this thing? Yeah. I feel like Bryce Young can just get above that now. I really feel like that performance he had was there, something, and he's been the favorites for so long at this point. Sure, there's there's a chance, but I'm still gonna say it's under fifty percent because the ACC has a lot of media value in it, as well as the Big Ten. So I think that Stroud and Pickett, Stroud and Pickett will get their votes. Um, and Young will probably just be the clear-cut leader of them, but it's going to be like a little bit shy of 50. It's not going to be anything crazy like we would like love for it to be, but it's going to be something where Bryce Young gets like, you know, 41% of the votes or 38% or something like that. I think so I'm going to give him like, 52 at this point. It could be, goal. yeah. It, it's not going to be that much more than majority if it is majority. Right. Um, but following that, we have now talked about players. How about we talk about this uh, to get excited? How about a few bowl games that we're excited for uh, that are coming up? We have the whole bowl game schedule released. Uh, so how about your three? All right, most exciting bowl games. All right, here, let me uh, – No, I do have a list here. Um, one game that I am actually personally uh, excited for I do really like, it's really, it's dumb, but it's the first day of bowl games. I love Coastal Carolina versus Northern Illinois. That's, that's just such a small school, uh, you know, really, really nice game. I think Coastal Carolina, uh, you know, down year, if you want to call it that, not winning the Sun Belt when they were expected to. Um, but Grayson McCall still had a great year. He was just named Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, probably not going to get the job this coaching cycle, but Man, I'm, I'm rooting for him, honestly. That mullet of his, it's so good. Uh, Northern Illinois, just dog walks Kent State and that ugly logo of theirs. Um, and Rocky Lombardi, great story coming from MSU to help lead Northern Illinois to a conference title. Love that game. Early game. I don't know who's going to watch it, but I will. Um, all right, let's see here. Some other games on this slate that catch your attention. How about the Frisco Bowl? Uh, UTSA, San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State disappointing in their Mountain West uh, championship, but Very, hey, yeah. they're they're still a good team. I, I did not, I was not aware of the fact that they were missing a lot of players due to COVID in that game, but still, props to Utah State, uh, UTSA, the Meat Meeps, disappointing that they don't finish thirteen and zero with that loss to North Texas, but they come back and they put on a clinic uh, against uh, Western Kentucky. Hey man, <laughs> hammer the over like we told you. Um, mm-hmm. So. That was a fun game. Uh, definitely one of the games that we're going to be looking at here in the smaller school area. That's probably one of your highlights. Uh, other than that, I don't know, man. I Not a lot of these games. A lot of the games between, like, bigger conference foes where, like, the teams are mediocre. Um, I'm not as big a fan of those. I do, like, I like the games where you pit the better smaller conference schools together as compared to, say, like, a Virginia SMU or a Virginia Tech, Maryland. Like, obviously, I'm going to watch those, but I'm not as intrigued by them because those teams, to me, just, they're not as good. Uh, New Year's six games. Hey, man, Kenny Pickett has a really good chance at bumping up his draft stock against a terrible Michigan State secondary. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I am. Those two games are really the ones that caught my eye immediately. Um, I mean, the Holiday Bowl could be fun. UCLA gets themselves to eight and four. NC State had a good season, like we said. So Holiday Bowl could be some fun. Uh, yeah, if you're going to give me three games, no, you know what? I'm going to axe NC State, UCLA, 
Give me the Music City Bowl uh, in Nashville, Tennessee versus Purdue. So those are my three games. I'm giving you the Cure Bowl, Coastal Carolina versus Northern Illinois. Uh, I'm giving you uh, the uh, Music City Bowl with Tennessee and Purdue. And I'm going to give you, what was my third one? I, I just lost myself there. The first oh, one. the Frisco Bowl. Frisco Bowl, UTSA, San Diego State. Uh, I went a little chalk with mine. Uh, I actually like the diversity of yours, but it's these are all games that I'm personally excited for. So first of all, you have the Sugar Bowl, Baylor versus Ole Miss, uh, Big 12 champions versus uh, one of my favorite players from this year, Matt Coral. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a hard-fought match, um, and this could be really something that helps put Coral on the map still. Um, as he's already had a pretty good season and whatnot. He's already taught us one of the better quarterbacks in this draft class. This is just something that could kind of help keep pushing him forward. Uh, you have the Peach Bowl of Michigan State versus Pittsburgh. Um, you have Kenny Pickett versus Kenneth Walker, um, two Heisman favorites uh, between us throughout most of the year. Um, it's going to be a really fun match. Uh, Pittsburgh definitely has a better defense than MSU, but it's just going to be high scoring, hammer the over, all that jazzed. And on top of that, the one intriguing bowl that I actually put here is Duke's Mayo Bowl of UNC versus South Carolina. Now, first of all, I'm pretty sure one of those teams teams are actually getting dunked in Mayo, which is kind of gross to hear, but I'm also kind of intrigued. I don't know why. I think it can be funny. So that's part of it. But on top of that, UNC versus South Carolina is a pretty good matchup. Um, I think Sam Howell's probably going to be able to actually move the ball against uh, South Carolina. Other than the fact, I think they have one good at rusher right now. And this is also Shane Beamer in his first year getting a uh, bowl game already for the Gamecocks and see if Beamer can pull off uh, being one-on-one in bowl games after having a slow start to the year. So that's my three. And then one last thing here uh, with no notes on the bowl games or whatnot. Um, the regular season of college football is over. We are officially in bowl season. So with that being said, I want to see from your perspective, if you want to trim it up, it's fine. I actually have five for each. Um, your five like successes, surprises, you know, good things that happen in college football and your five disappointments in college football this season. All right, let me go five uh, here. One, okay, five uh, surprises, five disappointments. How about for disappointment number one, the entire ACC, uh, Really bad year. Clemson was down. Uh, the Coastal was bad once again. You know, Pitt's a nice story, but overall, I don't think that they're to that. Uh, obviously, teams like North Carolina and Miami being bad um, at the beginning of the season predicted differently. Surprise number one, Michigan State. Going to go with Michigan State. Uh, great job by Mel Tucker in year two, officially year one. Uh, I'll throw the other Michigan team, uh, obviously, at surprise number two. Uh, did not expect them to win the Big Ten East, did not expect them to win the Big Ten, did not expect them to be where they are right now. So both Michigan teams fill in uh, at my top two surprises. Uh, how about a disappointment? Um, who do I want to go with as disappointing? As disappointing, I'm going to go with – I think I'm going to go with LSU. They just mm-hmm. – the recruiting, all that, the culture, I really feel like they could have bounced back. But, I mean, they're getting to a bowl game. Coach O's gone. Obviously, the swagger of that team that won the national championship is long gone. So there you go. Looking still in the SEC, Arkansas, big surprise, gets to eight wins. Uh, going to the Outback Bowl, I believe. Uh, 
Arkansas was a program that was in the mud a little bit. So there you go. They're back. Uh, honestly, feels good. Um, Arkansas, it was, it was a surprise, but they got the top 10 early, did not win their biggest games, but I don't know how competitive they can be in this new landscape with Alabama, but hey, they, they had a really nice year for them. Um, another surprise, uh, I think that was number three for me on the surprise. Was that number three or number four? I think that was number three. Okay, number four. We're going to go with UCLA. Uh, Chip Kelly in year four did not win a lot. Got them into a position to, you know, make a push at the Pac-12 South. I don't know what his long-term future there is, and I don't know what the long-term trajectory of that program is, especially now with Lincoln Riley at USC. Mm-hmm. But uh, him getting himself off the hot seat, I think, was good. Um how about number three on the disappointment list? Boise State having a bad year uh, in the Mountain West. They're usually the, the giant of that conference, and they just slipped behind. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, we on to number four in my disappointments list? Yep. All right, number four uh, on my disappointments list. Oh, man. Is, is it too mean to just beat up on Texas? I don't think it is. They, <laughs> it's never too mean. Force it's down. never too mean. Man, it's just that's uh yikes. Bad first year for Sark. I think he turns it around, but I've I mean with Venables there, I, I really feel like Oklahoma has the better path uh than uh Texas right now. And then that yeah. move to the SEC. Bad. All right, number five and the surprise and number five in the disappointment. In the disappointment, um I think I'm gonna go with what what do, I, what do I want to do here I'm gonna go with SMU that's a little weird but yeah. they looked really good at the start I felt confident that they could give Cincinnati a push uh, at the end of the of the American schedule but they fell off and um I I, I don't know it, it's tough to come up with a fifth one right now but I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with them they just it just let it all fall apart. And then number number five, surprise, good thing. Uh, yeah, let's go Cincinnati. Getting it done, getting the college football playoff. Well, we have a lot of similarities on our lists, uh, but I, I am going to be interested to see how you feel on this. This isn't from like, you know, most surprising to most disappointing and, and et cetera, but I am going to go one by one. Uh, and we'll start off with, uh, we'll, we'll go... We'll start off with disappointment and then we'll end with success basically. And then we'll go disappointment, success, disappointment, success, et cetera, et cetera. So to start off with the first disappointment that I was able to come up with was the original Heisman list. Um, I went to CVS to actually go and look at this. And I, I, I'll name the first 10, but of the players that we've mentioned in the Heisman list, in the Heisman running throughout this year, there's only three names up there that really stood with us throughout a good portion of the year. And that was CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and Matt Coral. The person that on the first week of our talk about the college football, uh, college football, not only have you, did you never hear of the name, but it was something that you and I were both very unfamiliar with. The guy that you, you, you thought was kind of a joke to be up there from Ole Miss was somehow one of the guys that we consistently had up there. It was our favorite throughout most of the year, which is hilarious to me. But the rest of the list to actually kind of have a little bit more fun here. 
Spencer Rattler was on it. DJ Uagalele was on it. Those are your top two favorites. Uh, then you had Young and Stroud. Then you had JT Daniels. Again, he got banged up. Um, Sam Howell was on there. That's funny. Derek King, he got injured. Um, to Keaton Slovis of USC, Matt Coral, and then Bajon Robinson. Um, just so many players that, you know, got on that list that missed. And, wow, just absolutely crazy to me that how bad this list was. This list was so bad from CBS that even one of the top, like, 20 guys of uh, having odds to win the Heisman was Sean Clifford. How that's possible, I'll never know. So that's my first disappointment was the original Heisman list during the preseason. Uh, my second thing here is going to be, of course, MSU and Kenneth Walker III. Um, two huge surprises. Uh, your coach got the contract he deserved. MSU had an incredible year. Uh, Kenneth Walker was one of our Heisman favorites for a long time. Um, just a big season there for the Sparties. Um, and a big season for Michigan football as a whole. And I'll get back to that. Um, my second disappointment is the ACC. It's horrible. You and I talked about it. Clemson was horrible. There's not much more to say. We've said it all for three months. Uh, my other success, my second success is the Baylor rebuild, quote unquote. Um, as you said, hold on to Rhonda um, for your life because he's an incredible coach. And I think he can really change the future here of this program. Um, but yeah, really successful year for Baylor. Somehow go in year two under Rhonda uh, from being one of the worst teams in the Big 12 to winning the Big 12 championship. Literally like zero to hero. Um, number three in disappointment was Oklahoma football. Um, facts of the matter is that Oklahoma football team should not have only had two losses. They should have had more and they barely escaped game, games by the skin of their teeth. Um, horrible, horrible season for them. Um, now they do have Brent Venables and hopefully he's going to help them on the defensive side as we talked about, but just, they were embarrassing the fact that they were the top of the Big 12 for a while. And the committee ranking them at eight, they're undefeated, just makes sense. And it's reinforced by how poorly they finished the season. Uh, my third success, of course, is the other side of Michigan football and that the Wolverines finally did it. First uh, Big 12 championship appearance, they won it. Um, they beat Ohio State for the first time in Harbaugh's tenure and like the first time in like a long time. Um, big congrats to the Wolverines. And now they've made it to the national championship with a legitimate shot to win. Uh, my fourth disappointment is the Big Ten West. Yuck. You. Horrible. I hate it. Um, learning more and more about college football throughout this year. Yuck. I hate this division. I'm sad that anyone has to ever watch it or root for teams here. Gross. Um, my number four in the success, this is, you might think this is pandering. It isn't. It's actually Kansas football. And here's why. We talked about it for last year. Um, they had a goose egg, um, you know, no wins. They're horrible. Lost an FCS team, got blown out most games. This year, there's only a few games that they got blown out. Otherwise, this team got two wins, including an incredible away win against Texas, which is just incredible to beat Texas in Texas. It's funny. It's something that you can recruit people on, the fact that your program was able to do this in the first year of Lance Leopold. But on top of that, if you look at it, like they weren't blown out in as many games and they were actually competitive in a lot of games. Oklahoma, think about it. They hang up the banner. We beat Oklahoma for three or four quarters. Um, you have the last three games of the season, beating Texas, barely losing to West Virginia, barely losing to TCU. Um, you had this Coastal Carolina game. We were leading a top 25 team again for about a quarter and a half. 
We competed with Coastal Carolina for a little while. So there was just so many games this year where just Kansas looks better under Leopold than they did last season. So I think that that's one of my surprise successes that I'm just really happy about because I didn't expect Kansas to be at this point whatsoever under Leopold. And I feel like this team in the next couple of years could actually start to become not a viable threat for the Big 12, but a team that's like, okay, you can put respect on our names. Um, my last disappointment is Alabama narrowly surviving. Uh, we talked about there's like four or five instances this year um, that they barely won or barely lost their games. Um, and, you know, if a couple drives went differently. They wouldn't be in national championship picture. This would be their second time, I believe, not being in the national championship game. So the fact that these teams choked and allowed for them to be in this picture hurts. But say la vie. Um, they did earn it in the SEC championship game this year. They just didn't earn it throughout the rest of this regular season. And my final thing, as I've said so, so often in these past couple of weeks, and the thing I'm genuinely prideful of, the group of five finally did it. And Cincinnati is in your national championship picture. And I'm so proud that I called it. And I'm so proud of that team. And no matter what happens, you're probably going to be betting Bama. You're probably going to be betting Bama on points. But if you're not rooting for the Bearcats, I, I, you don't have a soul. That's it. You, you just don't have a soul. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, some surprises and disappointments from the college football season. Got into a lot of college football talk. Obviously, big weekend last weekend with championship week. Talked about the coaching carousel a little bit more with Venables going to Oklahoma and Mario Cristobal coming to Miami. So some big ACC implications there uh, as Virginia Tech uh, looks forward to next football season and the pinstripe bowl. So for Colbert Bergstrom, I am Dan Steinbach. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Have a great day and take care.